Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. In undergrad, I uh, I lived with one of my best friends, and I used to do this thing where in the mornings I would see what he was wearing when we were about to leave for class. We were in the same program. That's cute. And I would go back into my room and change into something as similar as possible just to drive him insane. And we would obviously sit next to each other in lectures. And uh, because I thought it was funny and it, it, it didn't like genuinely bother him, but it bothered him a little bit. And so it was hilarious. And I haven't been able to do that in years, obviously. So today when you showed up to my place wearing your podcast quarter sleeve, Evan, or, or quarter zip, I was like, oh, man. Quarter sleeve, let's go. (laughs) Just suns out, guns out for the boys for the summer episode. (laughs) Yeah, so we we should have sent Brad the memo. Although, Brad, you've been doing hard manual labor, building a fence all weekend. I don't think you're wearing anything with sleeves or leg sleeves. You are lucky I even muscled up the willpower to wear shorts today. Well, lucky for me, actually, yeah, and they can't, the viewers can, those who watch on YouTube can see your legs too, so lucky for them as well. Would have been a lot of thigh for this episode. Oh, it's still a lot of thigh. These things aren't that long. (laughs) (laughs) Two for two on weird openings. That's either a promotion for the YouTube channel or demonetization. Demonetization, (laughs) never watch it ever. And a very quick one, yeah. Yeah. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. We are uh, quickly or quicker than you'd think approaching the NHL draft. And so we are going to continue on with our profiles uh, in the interview today and uh, uh, lots to talk about. So here to talk about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, international hockey, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Like I mentioned, we are going to continue on prospect profiles today, starting with none other than Gabe Perot, the highly productive forward out of the USNTDP. Uh, we have an interview uh, from that we recorded earlier last week with none other than Steve Dangle, where we get his very tired perspective on what's going on uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Kyle Dubas, all of that chaos. And when I say his tired perspective, not that his opinion is tired, but that man is very tired. <laughs> Lots going on, obviously, in the Leafs world, and always good to have our uh, friend Steve back on the show. Uh, we'll take a look at the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, Florida has punched their ticket to the Cup Finals. And uh, Dallas has made a series of it uh, with uh, Vegas. Uh, We'll take a look at uh, NHL and international news as the World Championships uh, wrapped up. Sider and Kublik put their stamp uh, on that tournament. Uh, Some reported negotiations with the NHLPA and the NHL, uh, what they could be looking at to secure a higher salary cap. Uh, And whatever else we get into before overtime. Before that, I want to let you know that this podcast is... Uh, almost entirely supported by our Patreon supporters. They are the heart and soul of everything that we do. Patreon.com slash podcast. if you want to support the show. Uh, you get uh, access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes, which uh, many say are better than the main episodes. We let loose, have fun. Uh, Brad's allowed to swear. Evan is allowed to talk about most whatever he wants, and so uh, it's a good time to just hang out and take some more listener questions. Uh, in addition to that, you get access to our Winged Wheel Podcast Discord, which is a wonderful community, and you're also automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Uh, we give away two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season, the vast majority of them going to Patreon supporters. So patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to support the show. Uh, our support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation, if you want to, uh, by all rights, sponsor the Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA in partnership with the with the Detroit Red Wing events and uh, our expanded content universe, like the uh, Expected by Whom uh, podcast hosted by Prashant Iyer and Sean Shapiro. Okay, 
That's my spiel. Let's jump right into it. Gabe Perot. Late on the scene in terms of uh, a player who might be a worthwhile pick at ninth overall. Uh, his his performance, a record-breaking performance at the USN TDP is did enough to raise eyebrows where he is in a lot of people's top 10. And thus, if Detroit does indeed pick at ninth overall, Gabe Perot is going to be one of the forwards that uh, potentially could land with them. So who is Gabe Perot? Is it worth taking a winger at ninth overall? And uh, is his production the real deal? So for some context on Gabe Perot, because we've taught, we've done our profile on Ryan Leonard and we've done our profile on Will Smith. Will Smith has solidified himself as a surefire, no doubt, top five pick. Ryan Leonard's even getting conversation in the conversation of the top five range himself. Um, most will say he's a surefire top 10 at worst. Uh, Gabe Pro outscored them both. Despite, like, obviously they played on the same line. Gabe Pro was the one who tap danced past all the USNTDP world re- uh, records before, obviously, Will Smith also crossed that threshold. The difference between Gabe Perot and... Will Smith and Ryan Leonard is he doesn't have that that gritty physical edge to his game that Ryan Leonard has and his shot's not quite there what Ryan Leonard's is. He doesn't have the pure skill that a that Will Smith has. So despite all the extra production there are questions about will it translate up levels. Now what he does have over those guys is he might be the smartest offensive mind in this draft. Full stop. I know Mitchkov and I know Bedard are in this draft and I'm not saying Perot is definitely uh, a smarter offensive player than those two, but he might. He's in that tier when you're talking about vision and what he can see and create and read in the offensive zone. Um, If he had four inches more in height or an extra couple steps into skating, he's he's a sure fire top five. Like the talent is there. His hands are great. His shot's good. But it, I can't stress this enough. It's his brain. Just the way he processes the offensive zone is spectacular. The way he can feed a puck through seams and not with any lead up time, that puck can be on and off his stick. And it's a seam tape to tape pass to someone on the back door before you even realize what's happening. He knew it was there before Buddy even looked at him for the pass. Like, and that's a truly, truly special talent, but the NHL is bigger and faster than what he's playing. And that is the concern with everybody. Nobody denies the skill. Nobody denies the hockey IQ, but he's sub six feet, not very thick, and he's not slow, but he's not fast. So it's not like some smaller players who can skate their way out of problems. He can't do that. I tend to bet on high hockey IQ. We've seen it time and time again with guys like Bergeron and guys like Barkov who aren't super fast, but they're just so damn smart they can make it work. Obviously, Barkov being a lot bigger. But it's uh, he's... Outside of Michkov, he's probably the most fascinating player in this draft because I see a reality where he goes six or seven to Arizona or Philly. Mm-hmm. I see a reality where the Red Wings get him at 17. Like it, it's all in the cards here, depending on what people like, and especially it being such a strong draft. It will give a lot of people pause because at all these picks, there is going to be a very enticing option other than Gabe Perot for teams to consider. So 
players can fall. We saw it with Cam Fowler. All it takes is each team to like one player more. You can be second pick on nine straight lists and you fall nine spots. So I don't know. I'm a big, big fan of Gabe Perot, but I, I, I do understand the concerns. I'm going to state the obvious here, but Gabe Perot seems like the kind of kid that the NHL or the teams that are looking to draft him aren't going to be sure about until they meet him and talk to his coaches and talk to you know those who have been part of his strength and development kind of thing. Because like you said, Brad, his offensive acumen is, it's not a fluke. His brain, absolutely one of, if not the highest hockey IQ in his draft class, like what he can do, it, it overcomes any deficiencies you might have in terms of skating or size at the level he was at. But like you said, the NHL is a is a big boys league. You need to be strong, and more talented players than than Perot have been, you know, beat down by the fact that they just get banged around too much and they can't stay in the league. If he was that slight frame and and a much better skater, then I think it's a surefire he's going, you know, top six or seven. But he's not, and so it, it does raise those questions. So for me, Gabe Perot is the kind of guy where if I think of who are my three favorite picks for the Red Wings at ninth overall within reason, like not mocking Will Smith to them at ninth, Perot is sometimes there at third, but I don't really think about him too much as like the premier ninth pick until I go back and watch his tape, until I watch what he can do in the offensive zone. And and for someone who can facilitate production or create production on their own like him at such an insane level, like that is a big swing of a pick if Detroit takes him. But I really like the idea of it, but it, it's I can't sit here and say the risk isn't there. We talked to Scott Wheeler recently on the podcast, and he believes that he's going to bulk up and and you know put weight on his frame and build that strength. And if he does, and for me, that's he's got to be one of the players you're looking at most intently here, if unless you're going center with like Oliver Moore or something. Yeah, because we'll talk about draft philosophy a little more as we get closer to the draft, because there's going to be a lot of great wingers available at 17. Like for sure. So there's going to be some debate. Do you take the D or the center at nine? Because you know, maybe not a winger, the caliber of Gabe Perot, but oh, still a really damn good winger at 17. But getting back to Gabe Perot, Gabe Perot specifically, the thing with him and the style of game he plays, uh, his strength also brings up a question. This guy, for example, like happened with Michael Rasmussen, never lived up to the full potential of a ninth overall pick, but due to his skill set, He's been able to fill in a bottom six role and do it very, very, very well. That is not on the table for Gabe Perot. That is not in the cards. He does not possess the tools to do that. He is either on a scoring line or he is not an everyday NHL contributor. That's how it's going to shake down for him. But then the counterpoint to this uh, from a Red Wings specific standpoint is who on the Red Wings resembles Gabe Perot and can do what Gabe Perot does in the offensive zone? The answer is nobody. Not a, not a single person. Uh, you know how much I hate comparables, but Corey Pronman had his player comparable listed as Lucas Raymond. I love Lucas Raymond. Lucas Raymond doesn't have the vision that Gabe Burrow has. He just doesn't. I also don't think Gabe has the shot Lucas Raymond does. Uh, I like the comparable in the sense that Lucas Raymond is a good example of a smaller player who lacks speed that can still be effective in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of how they do that, I think they're pretty different. Um, but yeah, I, I understand that comparable there, but if you're looking for that, that playmaker vision, hockey IQ guy to quarterback, the power play from the half wall. Yeah. The Red Wings don't have that. 
They don't have anybody close to that. Lucas Raymond probably is the closest. So if you want to talk about organizational need beyond just straight positions, wing center defense, Gabe Pro is the type of player they are lacking sorely. Well, another thing he's got going for him is that his dad, Yannick Pro, played in the NHL. So that's an invaluable source of information on how to make the next step. So there's a lot of guys in this top 10, top 20 who don't have that readily available to them in a very honest upfront type of, of way. So yeah, for me, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where, where Gabe Pearl lands because he does have like such an interesting tool set and like I th- have a strong feeling he'll be able to contribute at the NHL level, but with what you guys have said, unless if he doesn't add muscle in the next couple of years, it's gonna be an uphill battle for him. Gabe Pearl, Ryan Leonard, fifty fifty, who do you take? Oh man. It's hard. You you just watched Matthew Kachuk go to the Cup Finals. So my answer, I'm torn between the two personally. So my tiebreaker is what would Steve Eiserman do, mm-hmm. and Ryan Leonard's the Steve Eiserman archetype. Yeah, like so, I I think Leonard's the pick, and you know I I mentioned how the Red Wings don't have that elite playmaker, that you know guy who can quarterback a power play off the half wall. Yeah, they don't have an elite shooter either. So Ryan Leonard solves that problem as well. So, you know, if they're both available at nine, the Red Wings are in a fantastic position. If playing Ottawa this year told us anything, they need a guy like Ryan Leonard, someone who's not going to back down. You know, him and Marco Casper together would be an absolutely pain in the ass to play against. Mm-hmm. I'm all I'm all for it. So if, if those are the two that you're making me pick, I'm going Ryan Leonard there. Gabe Perot, Oliver Moore. That one's tougher, yeah. That one's hard. I I like the player Gabe Perot more. Oliver Moore is safer. Also, like, I guess my draft philosophy kind of is relevant now. Because I think the Red Wings, unless a Ryan Leonard or just like one of the elite wingers falls to nine, the Red Wings are probably better served grabbing a center at nine and then grabbing another center or a winger at 17. Because at 17, you could be looking at a, you know, Matthew Wood, possibly Gabe Perot, Braden Yeager. Like, the options at forward there are still going to be very good, but they, it'll probably be light on centers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, or even if they want to grab a defenseman there. But, yeah, I, I probably lean Oliver more just because of the two first-round dynamic. Perot makes it interesting, though. Like, I- Oh, yeah. It's not easy, and I, I look, you watch what he's able to do, and I think back to the conversation you were having with Max uh, before the event, Brad, and it was just about, you know, what's a great indicator for production at the NHL level and it's production during your development years, and this is a guy that's literally the most productive that the US NTDP has seen. Granted, like, it's not one for one as to when he did it and when Matthews did it at, at their point in their developments. Matthews had his year in Europe uh, afterwards, but still, like, this is a guy who produces. And if teams pass him over, you know, at picks anywhere from seven to wherever he ends up getting picked, like, that's really his range. They're going to feel real stupid if he turns out to be an everyday, highly productive top six winger who is, you know, a power play one guy making a difference in your offense. That goes without saying for everyone, but you worry about the guys who are passed over just because they're small. So like I said, 
the combine is going to do a lot. Conversations with the kid is going to do a lot. Uh, you know, looking at how his brother has developed is going to do a lot. It sounds weird, like you're talking about horses, but you, the genetics are there. And you know what, Evan? What you said, people might not like it, but it's true. Having a family history of being in the NHL, it is a leg up. That kid has an advantage because he knows what it takes. He has his dad there. There's not. It's not a surprise that Brady and Matthew Kachuk have exactly what it takes to be successful in the NHL. They get that from Keith. He's, They've been exposed to it their entire life. They've been in the NHL sort of stream ever since they were they were kids. So, yeah, it, it, it's an absolutely massive leg up for them. And honestly, when is nepotism ever a bad thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, in the NHL, never. So, yeah. Uh, interesting, interesting profile. And as we round it up, our like clumps of players who are relevant to Detroit at either pick that they have provided they keep them, Perot is going to be firmly in the mix for that ninth overall pick. So uh, curious to see where he ends up. I wouldn't be surprised if he's gone by Detroit's pick anyways, but Gabe Perot, credit to him. What a phenomenal season. And uh, I have a feeling that he's going to make some team pretty happy, but we'll see. Okay, let's jump into uh, our conversation that we had recently with Steve Dangle. Uh, We talked to Steve about what the hell has happened in uh, Toronto uh, Steve's thoughts on the Atlantic Division, not just what Toronto's doing, but what Detroit's doing, Buffalo, the Senators, etc. Uh, we always joke and are somewhat serious that Steve's second favorite team is the Detroit Red Wings, so he always loves to offer his insights on what's happening in Hockey Town as well, and lots more. So without further ado, uh, enjoy this conversation with Steve Dangle. Steve, every year we get you on the show to you know catch up with an old friend and also ruthlessly make fun of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, and every year we think, ah, is this the last time we're able to do this? And I have to say, a, a part of my heart hurts for you, my friend, that this is probably the worst iteration of that yet. Steve Dangle, welcome back to the Winged Wheel Podcast. It's a loaded question, but how are you, man? <laughs> uh, they are uh, only the Leafs could end the 19-year-old curse and come out of it worse. Like it, it, uh, no one would have believed you. Um, well, I think everyone would have believed you. We're Leaf fans. We're predisposed to believe any doomsday scenario. But after beating Tampa, no one would have believed you that within a week uh, would come just the worst possible feeling. Like they lost the second round so badly. It erased all the goodwill that they generated from the win. And then they followed it up with a bizarre press conference. And less than a week later, they fired their general manager. Um, so no one knows what to think anymore. Rumors are rampant. There's all these rumors about the next head coach. The current one hasn't even been fired yet. Um, no one knows who the next GM is going to be. No one knows if they're going to have a GM for the draft. Matthews needs a contract, and if he's not getting one, he needs to be traded, and they have until July 1st to do that with impunity. Same with William Nylander, and Mitch Marner has a no move that kicks in uh, on July 1st. So there's a lot of decisions, and I think I'm just talking a lot, and I'll I'll let you answer some questions. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as much as we love the age-old tale of how did Toronto blow it in the playoffs, 
the the GM news is just too big. Like you mentioned, starting with that bizarre Dubis press conference, followed up by a bizarrely candid Shanahan press conference. What do you make of this? In your personal opinion, what do you make of what happened? And what's your take on the decision that Shanahan and MLSE made? Do you like it? Do you hate it? Where is Steve Dangle on this uh, whole scenario? I think it's all just an enormous, I mean, egotistical fight uh, between the two. I think there's a lot of wrong to go around. You know, I uh, Dubas' side of the story, you know, he wanted to keep it private. Then Brennan Shanahan aired all their dirty laundry out there. And, you know, it's, it's Dubas' right to keep it all to himself. But I, I think a lot of people would have appreciated uh, his his side of the story. And now we're basically forced to take A, what Shanahan gave us, and B, what the insiders and it's almost like we're getting Dubas' side of all this through the insiders. So Shanahan made it seem like, you know, Dubas didn't want, uh, he wasn't 100% sure Dubas wanted to be the GM of the Leafs, which was, you know, the impression he got from the press conference. And I won't lie, it's a bit of the impression I got uh, from the press conference. Um, but then what we find out afterwards is Dubas, for all his major decisions, had to go to Shanahan, who would then go to the board of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, who would then go back to Shanahan, who would then go to Dubas. And it was a very hindering, cumbersome way of doing business. And I can understand why Dubas wouldn't want to deal with that anymore. So it sounds like he tried to streamline it, which is basically, you know, you could word it however you want, but it is at least to a degree cutting Shanahan out. And then uh, what's the point of the president? So Shanahan turned around and said, what's the point of a GM? <laughs> I'll do it myself. <laughs> that's and, and that's basically where we're at. With Dubis leaving and, you know, Brad Living is a name that's most uh, prominently talked about. Nothing is confirmed. So, you know, GM to be named and all these decisions coming out ahead. You know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but with all the decisions that need to be made for the Leafs in terms of resetting so they don't just hit their head against the same wall next playoffs, in terms of figuring out what to do with Matthew's contract, uh, uh, what's going to happen with Nylander and Marner, etc. This has to be the worst possible timing for all of this to, to come down, right? All of it. Um, so I, I think CJ has been the one saying, Chris Johnston has been the one saying, you know, no one's coming out of this looking good. And, you know, sides are being drawn. Was Shanahan right to fire Dubas? Yes or no. Here's all the reasons why or why not. And same with, uh, you know, Dubas. Did he do anything wrong, et cetera, et cetera. I think we can all agree this is the worst possible time to fire your general manager. Like, it's not just ahead of the draft. There are such key components uh, of this franchise that are to be decided. And all the, the Leafs win and lose from the core four. We've seen that. One of the core four is not going anywhere ever, and that's John Tavares, who's still a perfectly fine player, probably overpaid, almost definitely overpaid. But, you know, no move clause, so it's a moot point. Nylander, Matthews, Marner, there's there's moving parts with all of them. 
And if because you don't have a GM, you're not able to address those, uh, you know, questions, you hamstring whoever the next guy is. And I guess I'm wondering who the hell the Leafs think is going to sign up for that job when they have even less freedom to work than the last guy. Dubas, at very least, made the conscious decision to tie himself to the core four. He did not make the decision to shut the world down because of COVID, uh, you know, flattening the salary cap, and that screwed everything. But he made the decision to, even though the salary cap was going to stay flat, he made the decision to stick with those guys. Um, the next guy, I mean, geez, you might as well hire him after the draft uh, because – I, I mean, the odds of them establishing relationships and finding a, a trade out there, a good trade for a Matthews or a Nylander or a Marner, like it just seems like such an unwinnable task. So the the one way I think Shaney can get some respect back within the fan base is he created this mess. Uh, he's the one who's got to fix it now. Um, so you want to be the GM so bad, tell you what, Go ahead and do it, and we'll see who still wants this job when the dust settles. Looking at this selfishly from an Atlantic Division uh, rival perspective, the Red Wings aren't you know, just like all other 31 teams and salivating at the thought of what if uh, Austin Matthews is available either on the trade or free agency market. It's also thinking, is this one of the top dogs in the Atlantic potentially resetting, coming down the standings for a little while, opening up a window for another team to take that spot? What do you make of of this reset? What do you see the impact being? You know, do you see a solution for Matthew staying, or is there a growing sense uh, internally within Leafs world that um, this could be a a harder crash than anticipated? I mean, we're all conditioned, like I said, to anticipate the worst because it's all we've known. Um, so that's kind of what we're all bracing for, and the radio silence on basically anything um, to do with the roster is the most concerning part. The The only thing we heard is that uh, Shanahan has spoken to the core four and they came away from the conversation with the impression they wouldn't be traded, which again, that's just the definition of insanity. You're just here. <laughs> I can't, I cannot fathom the Leafs going back to the well with this group. Um, so all, all we, all we've heard is all we can go on. And, uh, you know, CJ, uh, Chris Johnson came on our show. I think it was the day after or two days after Dubas's press conference. And he gave us a breakdown of everyone on the roster. Uh, who he thought was staying or going. And he said, this is all contingent on whether or not Duba stays. <laughs> and then we find out a couple of days later, he's not staying. So no one has any idea what's going on. It's really tumultuous. And, and like, <laughs> this is going to sound hilarious, but because the Bruins are basically backed into taking a step backward, the Florida Panthers are one of the most mystifying forces in hockey right now. The Sabres are on their way up, but it's, you know, a bit of a way up. The Red Wings are on their way up, but it's a bit of a way up. You know, the, it just felt like this upcoming season, the division was really 
potentially for the taking. Like Tampa could potentially be taking a big step back as well. And they're consciously throwing the team into complete and utter chaos. Let's imagine Brendan Shanahan decides, you know what? I'm done with a uh, traditional experience GM. I'm hiring Steve Dangle. You can bring in Adam and Jesse as your assistant GMs if you'd like. What do you do leading up to July 1st? And I mean specifically with the core four as they are with their contracts. Um, You know, you can't uh, uh, magic Matthews into signing an eight-year extension uh, if that's not what it seems like he's going to do. But what would you make of this situation if you could, you know, pull the strings here? Well, I think the easy one to do, and none of them are easy, is uh, trade Mitch Marner. You know, you have three guys who are essentially making 11 mil. He's making 10.9 or whatever. Nylander is the actual easiest to trade, but that's because he's good value. And the Leafs, because of their salary structure, desperately need good value. So I wouldn't be eager to trade him. But is he still going to be good value once he signs that contract extension, which he's eligible for on July 1st? So... To me, it's the two wingers. I, I think you trade one of the guys on the right. You need a franchise center, um, and having a one-two punch of Matthews Tavares is still always hilarious. So it's to me, it's it's got to be one of the wingers. And the, you know, the the conversation with Matthews, I think, is more serious than than people realize because you know he's supposedly not going to sign uh, a max term contract, and this guy's hurt fairly often. I think he's still playing his best hockey, you know, even though he had the 60 goal season, who knows if he'll uh, ever repeat that. Um, but, you know, he, he was up there among league leaders and hits among forwards. Definitely his defensive game has really done, uh, done well, you know, shot blocking and everything. Uh, and all his chance metrics were great. It's uh, it's just his finishing wasn't there, and that's in part uh, because of injuries. This guy's already got like you know a history of he's had back injuries, shoulder, wrist surgeries. You know, at, at some point you got to decide: have we already gotten the best out of this guy that we can? And it's a it's a scary bleak plot. You described this uh, last month or two as the busiest month or two of your life uh, when uh, we got on the call here. So uh, I appreciate you laying all this out in the middle of the Leafs melting down. And I I know how crazy of a statement that sounds, considering that seems to be their permanent state. Uh, So I'll do you a little grace here and I'll pull you away from the Leafs for a second. We always love the annual. What does Steve Dangle think about his second favorite team, the Detroit Red Wings Uh, from an outsider's (laughs) view? Uh, what do you make of what the Red Wings did this season? Obviously, the highs were highs, uh, high and the lows were low. Uh, you mentioned that the Wings are on their way up. It's still have a way to go. What's your analysis on where Steve Eisenman's team is right now? Um, I was a little uh, little surprised by the Tyler Bertuzzi trade, uh, to be honest, because I kind of, you know, I'm looking at the core that the Red Wings are building, and I, I sort of saw him as, as part of that, and, and I thought he was a big part of their identity as this, you know, underdog of a team but still like he he gave them a lot of scrappy fu to to the way they were built uh i I think buffalo is getting a lot more praise than detroit uh because they had the really hot back half they have some 
crazily uh, performing players like Paige Thompson, and and obviously everyone's really excited about Devin Levi. But I, I think that's sort of showing people aren't quite paying enough attention to the Red Wings, you know, crop of guys. Um, not that Sebastian Casa exactly has the the same fanfare as a Devin Levi, but like this this could be that could be the one two matchup in the Atlantic. Uh, for a long time. And and I think a few minutes ago, I forgot to mention Montreal, who's also going to get a really good guy at this draft and has a bunch of good players already. And I, I, I think, I think uh, we're not far away from seeing the Atlantic division basically just flipped, which is pretty good news uh, for the Red Wings. All right, Steve. Well, uh, like I said, you're having a, a pretty busy month here. So uh, we'll let uh, this one wrap up. Folks, this has been Steve Dangle uh, of the Steve Dangle Podcast, the Steve Dangle Podcast Network. He mentioned Chris Johnson, who has a show on that network. There's uh, plenty of other fantastic shows. So, uh, Steve, thank you for lending some of your time from SD- SDPN and uh, appreciate you jumping on, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, call me the next time my team does something dumb. <laughs> All right. See you in a few hours then. <laughs> <laughs> welcome back big shout out to steve for uh, finding time i'm sure you heard he was on the road uh to uh chat with us always good to connect and um yeah he said we'll chat with you the next time my team does something dumb so i guess he's gonna have a weekly segment on this show now <laughs> well you saw the final four candidates that were rumored for the leafs yes for their gm position i i want nothing more in this world pete's still in it man Lord, I've seen what you've done. You've done for others. Please let the Toronto Maple Leafs hire Peter Shirelli. The, that's how I know we live in a simulation. If that's they hire too much, right? Peter Shirelli, it we're in a simulation. It was Shirelli, Tree Living, and two other bad candidates who I don't even remember who they are because Peter Shirelli was still on the list, and that immediately assumes everybody else is also a schlub. I think Hannibal Lecter was on there. Yeah, and um. For living would be an excellent hire. He'd be okay. He's like he's he's your typical hockey man, but he's not one of the worst of them. Wasn't Stan Bowman on the list at one point as well? Yeah. He, oh my god. He's going to be on everyone's outside of the all the obvious context with Stan Bowman. He was doing a bad job in Chicago. Why do people want? Yeah. Him? Exactly. Like the Joel Quenville thing. I actually understand. It's wrong and bad and gross, but yes, I understand. He is legitimately a good hockey coach. Stan Bowman's not even good at his job. Yeah. So you're going to go through that PR firestorm for what? Better off to just hire Peter Shirelli. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what we're saying. Unironically. (laughs) Brendan, if you're listening, you're my, Brendan Shanahan, you're my favorite player of all time. I would never lead you astray. You should absolutely hire Peter Shirelli. Not because it'll be hilarious, but because it'll be good. I do wish death upon my enemies. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we'll see where that one goes. As of right now, it looks like it's tree livings to lose, but you never know what's going to happen in Toronto. Uh, speaking of the league, let's talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs, and let's open with the big one here. The Florida Panthers in four different one-goal games sweep Carolina who hasn't won a conference finals game in a billion years. Uh, But Florida finishes the sweep in what is the most tightly contested sweep I think I've seen in my life. 
Right up there with the 97 Ducks Red Wings series. How insane was that entire process? How do you feel if you're the Carolina Hurricanes? We saw what Brindamore said where he was like, this wasn't a sweep. Like, I know it was a sweep, but it wasn't a sweep. And I was like, oh, Rod. <laughs> Rod, man. Just, uh, you're getting me, you're memeing yourself. Don't do it. Well, that's why he's Rod the Bod and not Rod the Brain. <laughs> I can't say I'd be any better. Like, that, what a gutting way to lose that series. Oh, I, he's, he's doing better than I would. I'd just be staring blankly into the void for at least three weeks if it went down like that. I mean, Carolina's went to three conference finals since they won the cup, and they're yet to win a game. That's insane. That's, that doesn't even make sense. They're 0 for 12 since they won the cup in the conference final. That is remarkable. If Toronto didn't do such a fantastic job of continuing their own circus, Carolina would start to get some noise around like their own curse and their own offensive yeah. deficiencies. It's not the same size market, but still. I mean, this whole Florida thing is bonkers to me because Sergei Bobrovsky is probably having the best playoff since 03 J.S. Shiger. Yeah. And he's not even a surefire Con Smythe winner because of what Matthew Kachuk's doing if they win it. Like, it's do you insane. Who do you pick right now? Oh, it's Bobrovsky. Like, okay. hands down, like, no question. But the fact that Kachuk's at least making it interesting is insane. Three game-winning goals in the series. That's nuts. Like, what? what he had uh, one overtime, one with five seconds. Oh, no, he had two overtime. The 4 yeah. OT, the 1 OT, and then uh, with the winner with like five, five seconds. Five seconds left. Okay, you're going to be mad at me, Brad. Do you want to know what I think about that, the series winner? If you say it was goalie interference, I'm going to kick you in the head. <laughs> it was goalie interference. It was not goalie interference. I think it was goalie interference. It wasn't. I understand why it didn't get called. Series winner. They've already, they already called back a uh, potential game winner uh, before. I'm actually more mad about that one. Because that was a horrible goalie interference call. Because the this is where the rules get jumbled. Gather your thoughts. I can see you trying to say something. I, I was about to quote Derek Lalone and say, well, then what the fuck is goalie interference? When I figure it out, Ryan, I'll tell you. Because I'm assuming you're talking about, uh, was it Lomberg? Uh, the spinorama went short side. Anderson was sliding the one way in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because Anderson was already sliding the wrong way and was continuing to slide the wrong way when I think it was Colin White bumped into him and didn't change his trajectory and the goal went in the side of the net where Anderson just came from. I'm like, yes, there is contact. And yes, it was in the crease. And as I understand the rule, as the rule is written, yes, that is goalie interference. But it actually had no bearing on whether the puck went in the net or not, which is... Uh, but either way, I digress. I could go on for another hour about these two if I needed to, and I don't think anybody wants to hear that. The the last goal, the series winner that Kachuk scored, goalie interference, yes or no? Nah, I don't think so. I understand why it didn't get called. Like 100%, the margins were thin. I thought in terms of calling it by the rule, it was clear enough, but I was like, eh, you called it a goal on the ice. This yeah. is the series winner. This would be a rough way. Like at in front of the home crowd too, like – I, I understand why they didn't turn that one over. Big shout outs to uh, Sam Bennett and Sam Reinhardt too. Like they're having incredible playoffs. I mean, Sam Bennett is just murdering people yes. on the ice. So it depends how you feel about death. Um, <laughs> I embrace it fully. I'm prepared at any moment. It would make my life actually a lot easier. <laughs> I'd solve a lot of problems. Um, but man. <laughs> See, money can't buy happiness, everyone. <laughs> 
Um, oh God! I don't even know what I was saying. I lost my train of thought. Anyway, come. he put he put Jacob Slavin in a body bag. Um, <laughs> that was a massive hit. Man. Yeah, that was one of the biggest hits I've seen in a long time. Yeah, um, I'm happy Slavin's okay. Like he he took he was scrambled after that one. Oh yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was up there with Starlink. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, they've just had a lot of timely. Sc- timely players and then Bobrovsky just going supernova like it, it it's been incredible to watch and it's such a it's turning into an amazing story and an amazing conduit to market the game you know what this uh playoffs is is really driving home for me is players who were written off maybe or seen as less effective or they got overpaid for in a trade at some point or overpaid in a contract so people don't think about them they're making big impacts Brendan Montour isn't is, he playing like fourth line winger at some point in Buffalo or something. Well, hey, once upon a time, Sabres fans have all said Montour, Reinhardt, and Eichel were going to lead a cup run. <laughs> and here they are. Here they, they are. Right. Wrong. They, they were wrong. They were right, and the monkey paw curled. He's playing 27 and a half minutes a night right now. I mean, A lot of that is driven by that 4 OT game, but he's out there. He buzzes around. Yeah. He is a little water bug out yeah. there. Absolutely. Montour is the perfect example of something I always got so angry about in the Blashill Holland era, mm-hmm. where there'd always be these conversations about, yeah, this guy's really skilled, but, you know, he doesn't play defensively sound or he's not a refined player. And, and so the Red Wings would consistently either not like these guys, bench these guys, send these guys down, or not just draft or trade for these players. That was Montour. Well, why do we have these guys when we can just put out Alexi Marchenko, who is yeah. good defensively? Yeah. With proper coaching, you can turn guys with Brendan Montour's talent into what Brendan Montour is now. Yeah. Like, can we talk about culture and, you know, development and coaching? Ta-da! Florida's figured it out. Sam Bennett, right off player in Calgary, key contributor to a Stanley Cup final team now. It can be done. So this is this is going to be my example for the next 10 years of the next time said someone argues we shouldn't acquire a player because he's super skilled, but he's not good defensively. Shut up. You can teach people to play defense. If, if you can teach Alexander Ovechkin to play defense, you can teach anybody. Yeah. Y- yes. Uh, the Matthew Kachuk contract, if he was... If his, if he was up this season instead of last season, like if if this was to be the year he had to negotiate a new remind, contract, please remind me what his deal currently is. Now he's nine point five million was his extension. That's, oh, it's already worth it. Oh, it was worth seven it years left. It was worth it at the time, but if he was signing this season, how much would that contract be? Twelve at least. Like, at least he would be up there with the biggest earners in the NHL. Yep. Uh, I think it was Jay Fresh put out a poll about like a redraft and who goes first. And I think it's still very obviously Austin Matthews from that draft class. I saw this conversation and it is very obviously Austin Matthews, right? It is so insanely stupid. Don't get me wrong. Love Matthew Kachuk. They've both been in the league for, I think, seven years. Austin Matthews has been the far better player six of those seven years. But and Austin Matthews overall playoff numbers are (gasps) better. But if you think about this. The leverage that Matthew Kachuk has right now. Oh, Matthew. If, Kuch- if he were to have his contract yeah. this year. Matthew Kachuk has had the better season than Austin Matthews. Matthew Kachuk has been better than Austin Matthews this year. Full stop. End of statement. 
But I'm, sample size matters. And what? But all I'm saying is that in a hypothetical world where this was the year, instead of this being the first year of his contract, if this was the year that he was negotiating his next contract, oh, yeah. his biggie, he would be negotiating for numbers like Matthews and McKinnon. Oh, 100%. Oh, 100%. He's, he's doing all right right now. Yeah, he, his $9.5 million in a tax-free state is, is yeah. pretty okay. That, that oh, con- man, we're getting a tax-free cup final. Oh, do we want to talk about that? No. You, you, no. you're both going to hate me. Actually, I, I, because you both like me a lot as a person, I know. You're going to start to hate me now. Well, this is interesting because Brad likes the salary crap and I don't. And you think we're both going to hate you. Yes. So that, I'm now <laughs> curious what this take might be. I am, I am coming around to being a believer in the NHL has to adjust for salary cap based on the income tax of the, where the team plays. I'm not, not against that yeah. at all. I'm for that. But I just think the logistics of it wouldn't be possible. Oh, whatever the NHL, like the NHL is going to have to pay their accountants a trillion dollars for sure. And I don't think you can make it like a perfect, like it can't be too dramatic, but. There's an accountant listening right now. It's just like, this doesn't work. Like, (laughs) imagine having to. And we're like, but what if. No, it doesn't work. Don't do that. It's like when you work at a startup and you call legal and they're like, no, don't do that. Yeah. No, don't do that. Like trying to, you would then have to keep up with the laws and all the taxes and all the tax code for like 30 different states and provinces. There's no way. I'm eh, Make a spreadsheet. I'm big. <laughs> yeah. Just put it in Excel. Just a couple pivot tables. You're good. Do your little numbers. I'm pro salary cap. And I do think that the this needs to be balanced in some way, but I don't think there's a realistic way to do it. I'm a bigger proponent of making teams earn their salary cap breaks like my big change would be every team is allowed one player who doesn't count against the cap per year but he had to be drafted by your team and developed by your team so if you trade him and bring him back he doesn't count anymore so like the Oilers could have Connor McDavid not count against their cap you know the Leafs Austin Matthews Colorado Nathan McKinnon so if you can properly draft and develop Boston, David Pasternak, 24th overall pick or something like that. They should be rewarded for that. And then that can kind of balance out the salary cap because your quote unquote break was made by yourself. Now, obviously you get a first overall pick. Well, congratulations. Um, But, you know, imagine right now the Red Wings don't have to worry about Larkin. But then it creates a lot of fun hypotheticals. Do you make Larkin's the exception or do you pass keep it, it on to pass else. it on hoping that maybe you know let's say a Michkov falls this year most side or might cost more whatever right like it, it could create a pretty interesting dynamic I do really like that idea too I don't think it's addressing the same thing as what I'm thinking about but I no. do really like the idea overall um one uh, sorry accountants who are listening one option <laughs> could be you know the salary caps are all adjusted based on the state income tax so a team that has a higher provincial or state income tax, their salary cap is higher. Yeah, that's what I mean. That, that's, that's what, what I'm advocating Florida's for. Florida's would be less. Oh, you you would say bel- oh well, relatively uh, yeah, less. relative yeah. to what their state income state province income tax would be. Like the I don't know the exact math, but hypothetically, the Leafs in a very high tax province, their salary cap would be like eighty seven million, and Florida's would be like eighty two. I don't Something. I don't know what the actual yeah, numbers to that right. effect. Now. It would the the rollout of that would be insane. Like, and you also have to remember they only play half of their games at home, and that affects it. And then you get into well, how is salary paid out? Because some people's salary 
Yeah, like, because if you as performance bonus, which or is a, paid out in bonus. Well, the yeah. one thing I think a lot of people don't understand, and if I was reading, I was reading an article on this, and if I read this correctly, say Austin Matthews who plays for the Leafs. The, for now, the game he's playing in Florida, a road game in Florida, he's for that game making Florida yeah yeah state that's tax a, I mean, rate yeah, yeah. so road. it's not as oh, big a problem, so, yeah. but there's. But there's jock taxes and yeah. it's a whole thing. There's also part of me that believes there's always going to be inequities between teams and you just have to overcome it. Like, oh, perfect. We can get rid of the salary cap. You know, De- <laughs> Detroit's in Michigan and not California. So that's one thing, one hurdle they have to overcome, right? Like, it's well, not New York well, City. Global warming will help. <laughs> we'll, We're getting yeah. there slowly, <laughs> but by the time we get there, I try to be the new California. <laughs> I hope we have a Stanley Cup before that. We're off that. the absolute rails right oh now. Oh, my God. What's the 2085 draft looking like? <laughs> I'm leaving this all in, by the way. Oh yeah, God. that's fine. Anyhow. What about uh, by the 2039? Like, if Hank gets drafted by Detroit, can... You're, and by this, uh, Brad means his son, Hank. Yeah, uh, 2038, sorry. <laughs> of course you know your kid's draft year. Oh, I got it wrong the first time. I had to correct myself. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, And Hank will make it. Hank will yeah. be the... There will be no Matthew Kachuk 2.0 until Hank makes the league. I, I'm saying that with full confidence. Yeah, and I want him to go to Detroit, but I also would like him to go somewhere where when I go watch his games, I can wear shorts and flip-flops. Like so, <laughs> Tampa Bay Lightning, come on down. Yep. Okay, uh, I'm going to try to bring us back on the rails. Uh, the Good other luck. series, Vegas-Dallas. Vegas had uh, Dallas in a chokehold, 3-0. They were in overtime in Game 4, and Dallas got it done. I think it was Pavelski scored the winner, and then in Game 5... Uh, Dallas 4-2. So a couple takes takeaways. One, if you're Vegas, how nervous are you? And two, Jamie Benn, was he the downfall of the Dallas Stars the entire time? Jamie Benn is a phenomenal leader. He identified the problem with this team and removed it from the equation, and they have won two games since. Yeah. Like, just the quintessential leader. This is the first time in his life Jamie Benn's gone down successfully. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. I honestly wasn't going to, and then I was like, I'm not better than this. No. No, we're late enough in the episode. It's fine. Are you nervous if you're Vegas? Of course. Of course. Vegas, for as brief of a franchise they've had, they have had some pretty wild playoff uh, failures. So they, they are braced for the unexpected because it's happened to them already. Yeah, it would be too... They've got such a great group of players and a lot of guys who've kind of been there. There are some veterans in the league. So I don't know if they're too worried, but if they uh, can't grab the steering wheel in the next game and they head, <laughs> head into game seven, all bets are off for me. I, I, I don't I don't know where this one's going. Well, Vegas's most valuable player is back in game six. Jamie Ben. Jamie Ben. <laughs> This is all great for Florida. A lot is made of Bobrovsky being the kind of guy who needs a lot of rest. He's a very slight fellow. Um, And so for him to get all of this extended rest is just huge for Florida. I'm also a big believer in momentum being killed in in playoffs. I've seen teams with a lot of rest come out really rusty in games one and two. Uh, Very similar feeling. I think one-to-one analog is today, Evan, when we were out on the course and we were just backed up on every hole. And that's why I started my game started falling apart at like 15. Yeah, that was it. So I know the feeling for very yeah, specific. So games right. start falling apart on 15? Well, was it a shotgun start? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It was the last the last two holes of the front nine and the last two. Hey, this is overtime talk. Uh, we'll see where the playoffs go and who Florida faces. But right now, 
you know, if Vegas comes in, they're probably going to have really good betting odds. Not even a joke. But Florida has been the underdog every time, and they've looked convincingly like the deserving winners by the end of the series, seeing the obvious. But, like, I don't know how you bet against Florida and Bobrovsky at this point. <laughs> I, I it, So, Down Goes Brown actually had a great article on this, and it's going to be fascinating to play out, where he kind of did a history of all the Cinderella runs. Mm-hmm. You know, the Montreal Canadiens from a couple years ago, the Ducks of 03, the Panthers of 96, um, the Canucks of 94, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the one overarching theme is they all run out of steam in the final. Like every one of them without fail lost in the cup final. So all three ducks with Jaguar winning Conn Smythe and not the cup is just so tough. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was an all timer. Um, so, but there's always exceptions to the rule because the LA Kings won the cup as an eighth seed. The LA Kings weren't like a, you know, real eight seed, right? They had a slow start to the season, made a couple trades at the deadline, and they were the hottest team in the NHL for the last like three months going into that playoff. So they went in on an absolute prolonged heater and just kept it going. Florida didn't have that regular season heater that LA did, but like they did win the president's trophy last year and then got Matthew Kachuk. Obviously, they lost a couple key players to do that, but... It's not like this team came out of nowhere. This is in no way is comparable to the Montreal Canadiens of a couple of years ago. So I think they could do it. Like I, they don't strike me as, you know, the Cinderella team. They do strike me as an underdog. I mean, you are the eight seed after all, and they had a very mediocre regular season. They were one Pittsburgh Chicago game away from not making the playoffs, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think about. So that game was, we'll talk about that a different time, but the yeah. impacts of that was so funny. Yeah, that game literally set Pittsburgh into a new trajectory. The Panthers to the cup final and the Blackhawks into Connor Bedard. Just all of that over that one game. But yeah, so I I don't know. And if Vegas can wrap it up in the next game, you know, and get a little bit of rest before the cup final, I I don't love that for Florida. Because, you know, this time of year, any hockey player will tell you, once you get deep into the playoffs, man, like you get a week or two off after three hard rounds, you are so thankful. It's not that hard to ramp back up, especially when you're rested, you're healthy. Everybody on that team is nursing something right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sprained ankles, tweaked wrists, they're all they're all healing right now. Um, so if Dallas and Vegas go a hard seven games and then there's a reasonably quick turnaround for them to the cup finals. That's a huge advantage to the Panthers. Momentum be damned. I'd rather go in rested and healthy, even if that means I drop game one. Yeah. Then go in just bagged out of my mind trying to remember what way is, you know, forward. And I guess an extra game against Jamie Ben, you are running the risk of death. Yeah. <laughs> essentially. Okay. That's the playoffs. Uh, who knows by next episode uh, where, what we'll know in terms of what the finals will be. Uh, game six is Monday night and game seven is Wednesday night. So we might be recording while uh, right before game seven, depending on uh, what the stars can do. Okay, some quick uh, news. This is mostly international news. The world championships have wrapped up. Uh, Mo Sider was playing for gold. Um, unfortunately, Canada spoiled the party. They ended up winning uh, 5-2 in the gold medal game. But... It was Mo Sider who did get two assists there, and uh, alongside Dominic Kubelik was named to the tournament all-star team. 
Hell yeah. Big breakout tournament for the notably underappreciated Moe Cider. <laughs> it's not a surprise. I think uh, it's mostly just for people who maybe thought Moe Cider didn't have a good season because they only saw his start to the year. As a reminder to them of, uh, no, this guy's a uh, star in Detroit and very obviously Germany's MVP. Uh, who was it that he lit up along the boards? Was that Middleton? He just uh, stood him up like running into I was a literally ball. watching and I don't remember who it was. They don't remember who they are now either. Like I... That, can't remember who half of the Canadian players were, if I'm being honest, because this was uh, their G squad. Yes, as the world championships tend to be. Yeah. Yeah. Who or what is a Michael Carconi? <laughs> the the bronze medal game, unfortunately, the state's lost in overtime. But if you like cool hockey stories and if you want to see the value of tournaments like these where, you know, it's not the best players in the world going because a lot of them are still in the Stanley Cup playoffs or they couldn't go. Or they're on a beach in the Caribbean right now. Latvia's overtime winner over the oh, States. Man. Oh, man. I don't care what happens the rest of the year. That is a top five hockey moment of 2023. Yeah. At worst. Yeah. Like, that country has never won a medal in, like, the top flight any international competition. Nothing. Zero. No Olympic gold, silver, bronze. No world championship gold, silver, bronze. No Canada Cup gold, silver, bronze. Nothing. And they are a hockey crazy country like it would be like if canada had never meddled ever like there was a the latvian celebration for their bronze medal was 10 times that of the canadian gold medal celebration god the seeing how much it means to them that is a way bigger story than canada winning gold oh a hundred percent honestly just like with with the nature of this tournament i would have loved to have seen a germany gold latvia bronze i kind of was rooting for it most cider at least gave me some rooting interest yeah also adam fantilli the only player ever to win world junior and world championships in the same year other than jonathan taze oh shame because detroit's not getting him yeah Speaking of Red Wings, uh, Henrik Zetterberg uh, inducted into the IIHF Hall of Fame uh, officially. Um, it just makes me miss him, honestly, but to see him get the international recognition that he deserves, of course, he's uh, part of the Triple Gold Club. Don't forget that. So cool for Hank. Congrats uh, to Henrik Zetterberg. One quick note I want to make before we jump into overtime here. Uh, it was reported, I believe, by Larry Brooks first that the NHL NHLPA is, quote, reportedly willing to talk about an expanded 84-game schedule if the league agrees to higher than expected salary cap next season. So things that they are not willing to put on the board, uh, increased escrow. Things they are willing to put on the board is playing two more regular season games. Uh, this conversation has always been coupled with they're just going to take that off of the exhibition portion pre-season? of the season because the preseason runs too long. I am fully in favor of that. I think the preseason is like five games too long. Like, yeah, it's a lot. Um, I think there's a lot of value in starting the season cold because it creates more chaos and mistakes and it just opens things up a little bit more. Um, and I'm sure players like it too when they uh, aren't playing exhibition games so much. So two extra regular season games in, ex- in uh, exchange for not waiting so long to increase the salary cap. Uh, nothing's been confirmed. We don't know if that's where they'll land, but overall thoughts on com- keeping the season the same length, but adding two more games in that schedule time. I don't care. I hate the preseason. It, it's preseason's nice because it's kind of like that. Hey, hockey's back. I'm watching hockey again. This is fantastic. 
And then you get halfway through your first preseason game and you're like, right, I haven't heard of half these guys and this is awful. Yeah. Um, I mean, no hockey's awful, but it's awful. So yeah, I'm in favor of it. You know, the players are just going to look at it. Oh yeah, a couple less preseason games and maybe one or two less practices during the season and we get a bit more money out of it. Sure. Great. Sign me up. Yeah, it, it is. You do think about it and you're like, by the time these guys get to the postseason, they're banged up. These teams are a shell of themselves. I'm... I'm not surprised because for financial reasons, obviously there's a vested interest in, um, you know, playing more so you make more money. It's all financial, but in terms of the sport, I don't think adding more games is technically what's best, but the changes the NHL and the NHLPA are going to be seeking to make aren't in necessarily the best interest of the sport purely. It's all about their finances and I mean, again, I say this a lot. I don't cry for millionaires or billionaires, but in their perspective, especially the players, they've hurt a lot in terms of finances through COVID and escrow and things like that. So they're going to be just taking every decision, be it helmet ads, jersey ads, uh, moving board ads, adding two games, whatever, to recuperate what they view as financial loss or opportunity cost lost. I am very much in favor of less games. Because I think the season is already too long. Like playing NHL hockey into June is outrageous to me. Um, and adding two games, you're never going to be able to take that back. No, 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 no. So they need they, to be very. They've had an 84 game season before. They have scaled back. Early to mid 90s was 84. Yeah, well, this different is different time. money now. Yeah, they'll yeah. never go back. They'll. It, it'll only go up. I think. So. To fix your short-term problems with a long-term solution, I would be incredibly careful on how you structure this as if this is indeed how they want to go about doing it. Well, if you look at it from a player standpoint, the NHL, unlike the other major, most of the other major sports, is it's it's a very gate-driven league. Like most of their revenue comes from ticket sales, not like the NFL, where they're they obviously get a ton of ticket sales, but they play once a week, so most of their money has to come elsewhere. So that's an extra 32 games a year, I believe. Um, yeah, yeah, because there'd be a home and a road team. Um, so that's not an insignificant amount of money to the NHL, and it does create a more balanced schedule. Also, this is at a 32-team league right now. I don't think any of us sitting here think this is going to be a 32-team league in five to ten years. I no. fully expect it to be a 34 to 36-team league by that point, which, yeah. I, I think they'll settle on 36 that is for like a year, and me. then they'll talk about more. Yeah, I, I think about this a lot, and I also agree. It feels insane. I don't care about the number of teams, personally. I actually am very – they could go all the way up to 40 for all I oh, care. Oh, God, please kill me. Well, it's just more markets. It's just more eyeballs. The talent in the sport now is way more spread out. It's not like it used to be where guys who could barely skate were playing on the fourth line. You pull up a second liner from the AHL and slap him in the NHL. They do not look out of place. They're obviously not stars or superstars, but they they do not look out of place. So you can easily spread it out. And as time goes on, that's only going to get more and more relevant. So I think hockey has a talent issue because it is so incredibly financially like it's a huge financial barrier. I don't want to say, yeah, barrier to get into the sport. It's like there aren't enough, like, yeah, there's a lot of people who are playing hockey, especially in Southern Ontario. But if you look at North America as a whole, like I don't think there's enough people playing 
Aki to create a development pipeline that's strong enough to give you the best product for a 32 plus N number of teams. I completely agree, but the what the owners think is we sell hot dogs for $13. Oh, I'm, well, no, no, I'm not arguing that they see that. I'm just saying yeah. the on ice product will not be as good because it's far more difficult totally. for parents and families to put their kids in hockey than it is NFL, basketball, soccer. Yeah. Ultimate Frisbee. I will agree with you and disagree with you at the same time because I don't think the one point directly affects the other because you're right. The the barriers to get into hockey right now are insane and the cost is a huge problem. You are right. I don't think that affects the you know 36 to 40 team thing. I actually think expanding the NHL is going to create more talent because for the Austin Matthews example in Arizona, you put a team in Salt Lake City. Now there's more interest in hockey there. You put a team in Houston. Now there's more interest in hockey there. You put a team in Kansas City. Now there's more interest in hockey there. Expanding the NHL expands hockey. Now, yes, at the grassroots level, huge problem. Hockey is the worst, the worst sport for minor sports by far, and it's not close. But from a getting people interested in hockey and thus playing hockey, expansion only helps. This seems like a great off-season topic, so I'm going to put a pin in this to bring up my work speak, and we'll uh, circle back in the off-season. We'll yeah, regroup. we know what that means in work speak, you piece of <laughs> shit. You know, why don't we take this offline? We'll yeah. regroup on it later. And uh, no, but genuinely, this is we'll talk about this in the off-season. But for now, uh, we're nearing the end of the show, so why don't we go into our overtime segment. Uh, overtime is a segment where we take uh, questions, comments, and rude remarks from our listeners and read them on air. Uh, on this episode, Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Again, patreon.com slash podcast. If you want to join the so-called Dub Dub Club, the Overtime episodes, the bonus episodes, I should say, the Discord and the giveaways are the uh, some of the benefits that you get and you help support legitimately everything that we do on this show. Uh, questions here, one from Orange Sunquist and one from Dan, and both of them are saying, what about Matt Murray as a backup op- goalie option? Wings get a backup goalie and an asset for taking the cap hit off Toronto's hands. Good idea or too risky. And Dan adds, if you uh, if you do take Murray on, which of the top four are you trying to be uh, get involved? What are you willing to pay Nylander and Murray for a first and a second and a bottom six winger, for example? So overall thoughts on getting Matt Murray as an asset. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there that I agree with and disagree with. Matt Murray, uh, yes. He does seem like a prime candidate to acquire an asset, and it is at a position that is currently vacant for the Red Wings. And Matt Murray, when healthy, is an adequate NHL goalie. Uh, you're going to assume that you're going to get him for at ha- half a season at best. So you better have a good third stringer for when Matt Murray's out. Um, and what asset are you getting from Toronto? Because it's you're not doing it for like a fifth. So... You know, that also matters. But if you can get a top three round pick, I I say absolutely do it. Um, Even if you bring in, even if you have no intention on playing Matt Murray, you just bury him in the minors. It's probably still worthwhile doing. I'm going to repeat this till I'm blue in the face. The Red Wings should not be interested in anybody with less than two years left on their contract because they are not going to win a Stanley Cup in the next two years. Thus, they shouldn't be paying premium assets for short-term fixes. So as much as I would love Austin Matthews or William Nylander on this team, they each only have one year left till unrestricted free agency. In no reality should the Red Wings be doing that unless there's an extension in place first, which is a long shot. So uh, would love the players, uh, but 
too short of term. But yes, I agree with you on the Matt Murray point. Uh, context for Matt Murray. He has a 10-team no-trade clause and is on the last year of a uh, contract that pays him $6.25 million a year in cap hit. Uh, total salary of the season is $8 million. So depending on who's trading for him, if their owners have tight purse strings, that might also... That would have to be a premium oh, imagine pick paying, or prospect. Imagine paying Matt Murray $8 million this season. The Leafs also are the team that gave up a first-round pick to unload Patrick Marlowe for one season. Yeah. So this could be a pretty significant pick if if Detroit chooses to do it. I'm. You know what? I have a lot of uh, thoughts and feelings about how the Dubas-Shanahan-Toronto situation played out. But one thing stays true to me is I don't think I – th- I'm sure Dubas has gotten a lot better as a GM, but he made a lot of moves that hurt the team. Some of them, I think most GMs, if not all GMs in the league, probably would have done the same one, and we're just looking at it in 2020. But with the way Marner and Matthews' contracts are expiring, like that is – that team is in a bad place right now because of those contracts. Yep. And not because of the cap hit, because of the term. Yes, the term and the conditions. Uh, Dylan Larkin's Nana says, who will play more games in the winged wheel this season, Soderblom or Mazer? I'll go Soderblom on that one just because of the extra year that he's had. But I maintain that Carter Mazer is going to make a lot of noise at camp and is like my dark horse to be this year's Elmer Soderblom and maybe even stick longer. I'm... Gonna say Soderblom, but I'm actually surprised how hard I have to think about this. Mm. Mazer is. Major, it, I'll, but I'll put it this way: I think Soderblom is going to be up for most of the season. But if Mazer makes opening night roster, he's playing 82 games. Mazer just got a lot of familiarity with Derek Lalonde at the World Championships. So, right? I didn't even think about that. So that yeah, that, and that's I mean. And he was playing like second power play and stuff, wasn't he? Goal and three assists had himself like he 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 wasn't nobody in that tournament. Yeah. It's a good question though. Uh, Babe Landeskog says, "What archetype of player do you guys slot into when you've played hockey? Sniper, stay-at-home defenseman, etc." Oh God, what is a uh, small, speedy defenseman who thinks the game well, who legitimately cannot shoot the puck from the blue line? <laughs> There's no archetype for that. Oh, congrats, you're Quinn Hughes. Uh, <laughs> that that archetype is not in the NHL. God, um, like if I'm playing in a league that actually matters, where I'm actually back checking, and we're not talking about beer league. Yeah, um, you come off the blue line. Yeah, I'm shoot first, two hundred foot center who with good offensive instincts. I, I even when I'm above my head, which is often, I always have found ways in my life to put up good numbers, like just. In that Gabe Perot vibe, you look at him and you go, oh, he he's not that good. Because st- this th- my skating sucks. You're stockier than Gabe Perot, but a little yeah. shorter. Yeah, my my skating, like I'm quick, but I don't have a good stride. I have a very awkward stride. You're built like a white picket fence. Yeah. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> Sorry. No, like the my, one you're building in your backyard. <laughs> no, uh, my, my, my skating is like a protest. It makes a lot of noise, but doesn't accomplish much. Mm. So. I'm getting all political here. Jeez. Yeah. Holy. But uh, no, I don't know. I'm just, I'm that guy who doesn't look like a good hockey player, but can actually hang. What? How would you describe yourself or if you want to rebut well, against either was, of us? Right now when I'm uh, out of shape or when I like actually when played hockey? You're, you're in shape for sure. Your new Hamburg days. Uh, shifty, good puck moving defenseman who's not afraid to get involved in the, uh, the, the extracurriculars. You were uh, shifty. Oh yeah. Why didn't you make the show? 
You're big and shifty. Uh, oh, you know, I, if, if I was only a little bit taller, I would have played in the NHL. Yeah, that's all it was. How tall are you? Six one, six feet, six feet. Yeah, that's I would. I don't know what that's I. That's nothing for a defenseman. These I think days. I probably weighed a buck seventy when I was like seventeen. I was God. like a buck thirty-five, man. <laughs> was, you were practically a monster. I was one twenty at best. Yeah, I was playing against like twenty-one-year-olds who are mutants, like two forty. Yeah, he's talking like junior C mutants too. Yeah. Like uh, junior yeah. C's. You can't accurately describe the Hand, hands the, as big as cinder blocks. Junior C is where you go to feel like what it plays, uh, what it's like to play helmets and gloves with someone who really doesn't like you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Simon says 27 says, would it be possible for the wings to trade both first round picks next year to move up in the draft while keeping their two picks this year? If so, how far up could that get the wings? So what would Detroit's first round pick and hypothetically Boston's get them in this year's draft? I don't think it would get you as high as you think it would. Which means you shouldn't do it because I'm not doing that unless I'm getting into the top five. Like I'm not even considering that for. You don't do that for pick eight. From 17. No, no, no. Both of next year's picks, neither of this year's first to round mo- picks. Oh, so we're not to like- buy into this year's draft. So three picks in the first round, hypothetically. I've got you. Um, eight, probably not. I don't think I would do that. I like I'm I pro- don't know. Eight, nine, seventeen from this draft. Uh that's tough. Cause what could eight and nine get you? Now we're getting into cap friendly. Yeah. yeah. I if trades. I'm if I'm moving to potential top 20 first round picks, I want Carlson Smith, Meechkov. Like I'm not I'm not doing that for a second line center winger. You know what I mean? Give Walman the heart says, not sure how you guys would answer this outside of a vibes read, but what do you think the wings want to do as a Dina at this point? So I can give you some like actual information on this. Uh, pray. Um, <laughs> vibes are low. The vibes are what the vibes are. With Zadina, this team has, and genuinely, like this is real, this is what's happened. They've explored everything. Their his start to the season was terrible. Uh, that that ever, anyone could have seen that. They were really disappointed, especially because of how his preseason went. They they just didn't have faith that they could put him in the lineup like at all. He got hurt. He came back. And the way he came back after a setback in the injury, but the way he worked to rehab and get back on the ice and the way he played when he came back, it wasn't just us saying like, oh, these few games, he's been really great. The team thought the same thing. They really loved the way he grinded. They really loved the way he worked hard. He changed. He was working on small parts of his game that you know they've been wanting him to for a long time. And they were feeling a lot more confident in him. That said, Zadina is on a very friendly contract to trade, and a lot of teams have and will continue to look at him as, is this a possible reclamation project? So, I mean, injury has set back a lot of that vision, but if he starts next season as it has pretty much his entire career, I would not be surprised to see Zadina moved, is what I'll ultimately land on. Things that would factor into that is, is Mazer ready? Is Soderblom pushing? Are, you know, is Casper an everyday player in this lineup? There are going to be fewer and fewer spots for Zadina. So he's going to have to earn his way in. He started, but it's not automatic. So I could see him honestly be moved. Yeah. And it's also important to remember at this point, when we're talking relevancy to next season, this is still not a team that is deep at forward. There's a lot of bodies, but not many substantial impact type players and the fact that Zadina still has a low chance but a chance to become something bigger than he is 
is more appealing than some of the fourth line guys or camp bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if camp comes around and Soderblom and Mazer aren't, you know, smashing the door down to take his spot, he's still very valuable in that spot because he's cheap and there's room to grow. All right, folks, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We'd like to thank um, all of our listeners, new and old. Uh, if you want to support the show and Patreon's not for you, well, you can do so by uh, subscribing and leaving a rating wherever you listen to your podcast. It, it actually does make a big difference for us. Uh, to all of our patrons, thank you so very much. Uh, to our name-level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Ease Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, wait for it, we are Geelong, the greatest team of all, Glenn Brabham, The Hat123, Colton Dietrich, who is a brand new name level sponsor. Colton, welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Uh, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels. Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landiscog, Bros Before Hostess, Carl Brutanen Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets in Anywhere But Tempe, Dad, Please Come Home, It's Been Five Years, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al-Kassem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, R.A., Red 3, Ryan Hanna, but spelt like Ryan Johnson, the director. Thank you for that. Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, that's what I appreciate about you. Wallman's Elite Dancing D, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Red Guys fan, A.A. Ron, Adam Gowitska, Adam Rose, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Button a lemon now available through, throughout Southeast Asia, except Singapore pending lawsuit for the inferior bum in a lemon. Thank you, Reed, for that one. Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheese Bags. CJ Wilkinson, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheese Bags Space Force. Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, Dungeon Master Puppets, Evans Lost Rangefinder, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Grand Rapids Hockey Guy, Griffey Boy, Instructions Unclear, Cheese Bag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hall, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Ophelia, Ryan, do you ever get tired of reading these names? No. Steven, Tatarsas, The Hodag, and The St. Louis Blueth. Thank you all so very much. I never get tired of reading names. Uh, you are all the reason I'm out, even out here reading these names. And on that, we will talk to you midweek. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.